Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza here for the final regular season preview for West Virginia in 2023. Road trip, Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. against the Baylor Bears. Chris Anderson, this has not been a great place for West Virginia through the years. Uh, one and four, the one win was wild. It was a 38-13 to 13 game. They end up breaking up a uh, no a sack on a two-point conversion that would have tied the game. That was back in 2015, I believe. Since then, no, 17. Since then, not a whole lot of success. Um, but they have won every home game against Baylor, so maybe it's as simple as being home and on the road, except that Baylor, Chris, season might have been over a long time ago, and the players might have eventually agreed. They have not shown many signs of life lately. Or They're a bad football team. This is we we talk about good teams, bad teams, good losses, bad losses. This would be a bad loss for West Virginia if they can't come on top on this one because this Baylor team, you know, they're they're what three and eight, and those three wins were the miracle comeback to beat UCF by one, Ugh. a three point win against a Cincinnati team that West Virginia just demolished. And then they could only muster a 30 to seven win. And I think it was closer than that. Like, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Like, I mean, they were, they still had their starters in, in the fourth quarter to beat Long Island university. Um, there'd be fans who remember that. Was it two years ago that West Virginia played them and just like, they were just moving up and just, just a terrible, terrible team. Yeah. 66 to nothing. Uh, West Virginia beat them a couple years ago as they were moving up. So this Baylor team does not have a lot to hang their hat on. As far as positives go, and last week against TCU, I don't want to say they might have given up, but forty-two to seven. I mean, the last two games are fifty-nine to twenty-five and forty-two to seven, and TCU converted. I think I wrote it down here: nine of eleven on third down. Like, I mean, they just were not stopping them. There was no attempt to stop them. It's the team that was six and three after the first game of November last year. Lost four in a row to end the season, including a bowl game against Air Force, and then could be three and nine this year. Three wins, 13 losses. Does David Randa come back? Ooh, I was wondering if we were getting to that already. It's, it's a tough world, this college football world. It's, I mean, yeah, he was red hot there for a while, but that's going to be tough to overcome. I mean, nobody can deal with like that much losing for that long. Like West Virginia fans are upset with, you know, 500 football, but three and 13 over a 16 game span. That's brutal. Let's talk about the job for a second. That's look at what's happened there recently. Like coaches have come in and kind of flipped things around and gotten success right away, but then it falls apart. Like not to say the Bryles fell apart because of the success wasn't there, but like that certainly went up in flames for pretty ugly reasons. Um, Aranda, uh, Matt Rule comes in, takes a while, gets it going, leaves. NFL, hard to blame him. Aranda comes in, Big 12 championship just two years ago. Um, and then it's been really hard ever since then. I just think this is a hard job. And I wonder now with talent definitely getting suctioned out of the Texas borders by the SEC, maybe even the Big Ten if it becomes even harder down there too. And not only that, but you have an influx of teams that are coming in to Texas as well, which is going to scoop up some, I don't know, second cup players, third cup players that might end up at Baylor under ordinary circumstances. 
it's never been an easy job. I just wonder if it's going to be even even harder now with the way the Big 12 is reconfigured. Absolutely. I, I think you, you know there was always that push when West Virginia joined. It was, oh, West Virginia might sneak in there and get that second and third cut. I don't think that was ever realistic because just the distance involved, to be quite honest. But then you start talking about, you know, I mean, LSU, obviously he's LSU and that's SEC, but hey, that's right there. Arkansas is right there. Oklahoma's right there. Even on the other side, Arizona's not that far away. Now, granted, probably pretty far away from the east side of Texas. That's uh, quite a distance, but you're getting a little closer, a little more, you know, as far as the, the, the type of living and different things that people have grown accustomed to if they're growing up out that direction. And if you were trying to come all the way to the East Coast. So, yeah, I think some of these new teams coming in might have an easier time recruiting that second and third cut than West Virginia did in the early years of Dan Holverson. A couple of years ago, they uh, ran after his first season. He fired his offensive coordinator. They were air raid, air raid, air raid, fired him. They brought in their new offensive coordinator, who I think a lot of people thought was going to be great. Came from BYU, offensive line coach, and they just smashed people with their offense. Didn't change it, even though last season's results weren't great. They had a good running game. They made a quarterback change. I thought it was going to be good. They actually changed the defense last year, and the defensive coordinator is now at Auburn. But he has a uh, he's lobs and grenades in the direction of Baylor this year too. So a lot of like full circle stuff are come up. It's just happening to Baylor right now, and I just wonder what the changes are going to be here too. Because look at they had a a pretty permanent fixture at head coach, like a guy who waited forever to get his break, cashed in, looked like he was going to be. Like I said, a fixture. And then they had the offensive coordinator who might only be there until he got the right paycheck to leave. And then it all falls apart. Let's get into why it has fallen apart here, Chris. What is wrong with this team? Or would it be easier to say what's right with this team? I think that's a shorter conversation, huh? I was going to say everything is, yeah. is wrong with it. There's not a whole lot of positives to take from here. When you go through looking at the stats, looking at the positions, a couple of the, you know, good player here and there and everything, just like every team. But for the most part, you're running through, you're looking at the stats and you're like, well, they rank 92nd, uh, they rank 98th, uh, they rank 86th, uh, they rank 112th, and it just on and on and on everywhere you look. So this is this is a team that that's really struggling struggling in a lot of areas. And yeah, I absolutely feel like it could be one where they may be taking a whole look at this, you know, like at this whole program, uh, whether Dave Aranda comes back or not. At least his coaching staff has to be concerned about their futures. Just a couple of things you look at when you're just getting to know a team, you pick up a stat sheet. Stuff I do is what I look at. I think points per game, really, really important, obviously. I just think that's that's a mobile metric. It doesn't matter what league you're in, what side of the ball, but points scored, points allowed. Baylor is 100th in points per game scored, 114th in points per game allowed. I cover West Virginia, so rushing is kind of important. But also teams that run the ball are generally pretty good, it seems like. There are exceptions, but typically a team that can control it or also to say, I'm going to run it and move you and get yardage. That's promising. Conversely, if you can't do that, that can be a bit demoralizing. And if your defense gets the better of you, good luck. Baylor, 108 in rushing offense, 113 in rushing defense. How about passing efficiency defense? That's kind of a weird thing. But if you're not good against the pat of the run, maybe you want to be good against the pass. Baylor is 124 in pass efficiency defense. How about first downs? West Virginia gets a ton. Baylor gives up a lot, 71st in the country. How about third downs, right? You want to have a game plan and stay on script and keep moving the ball down the field. If you can do it, great. If you can't, you're in trouble. Baylor's offense, 96 in third down conversions. Their defense, 114 in third down conversions. You see where I'm going here. This is just circling the drain over and over and over. This has been a lost season here. And again, 
the, the numbers were bad and they just gotten progressively worse. There has not been a fix in there where conversely, if you look at West Virginia, granted health had something to do with it, but their offense was kind of fractured early in the season. Maybe sprained is the better word, but it's gotten better and better and better as it's gone on. And just to be frank, Chris, as we mentioned before we start talking, I don't know how Baylor slows down West Virginia. West Virginia could find a bunch of rakes and step on them, but I don't know how the Baylor has a lot to do with what wouldn't work or what can't work for West Virginia Saturday. Yeah, you mentioned there. Excuse me. Too much for you. Yeah, that really that really got the best of me. But the you mentioned the third down defense for Baylor, and, and it was in the 90s or whatever it was. I adjusted it for FBS opponents only because, yeah, they, they picked on LIU. 125th. 133 teams and you noted West Virginia running the ball first downs time of possession this could be another game where West Virginia kind of jumps up early and then just keeps running it down their throat converting staying on the field resting their defense and it kind of snowballs from there or at least that's obviously West Virginia's hope for this game all right let's start Baylor offense this shouldn't take long but of note, right off the top, uh, they make the change before last season of Blake Shapin. They let Gary Bohannon go to South Florida. A hard thing to do coming off a Big 12 championship. Shapin hasn't played poorly in his two seasons here. He just hasn't gotten a lot of help, especially from his offensive line. Again, north of 100 in sacks allowed and tackles for a loss allowed. He's good. He can be effective. He can get good yards per pass. Um, good touchdown interception ratio. Big arm can move a little bit. It also sounds like he's concussed and might not play Saturday. Um, Dave Aranda says it's not looking too good for him to play. Kieran Drones is now doing great work at Virginia Tech. People were kind of upset that they let him get away last offseason. They just don't have a quarterback that does anything here. Sawyer Robertson is the backup, and I was thinking, okay, monkey wrench for West Virginia backup quarterback. That's like the big bad sometimes. Maybe this is a guy who can run around and do things. Nope, that's a guy who is in the pocket at Mississippi State for two years and has played okay in small spots this year. Uh, just not a different type of quarterback. So I don't know how he's going to give you different types of results. Out of 11 games this season, Baylor's offense has had three games where quarterback had a passer rating under 100. It was all three games that Robertson started, that Chapin was out. Um, as you noted, Chapin, 62% completion, 13 TDs, three inter- interceptions, 275 yards per game, and 135.8 passer rating. All solid. Like those are those are great numbers. Like a lot of teams in this country would take those numbers right now. Um, Baylor averaging twenty five points per game when he starts. That's okay. It's not. It's not wonderful, but it's okay. You take him out. Sawyer Robertson and R.J. Martinez hopped in there for even worse garbage time against Texas, and they combined for one touchdown this season. One touchdown with four interceptions, fifty one percent completion percentage. And in their two games against FBS opponents, they have totaled 19 points for Baylor. So, yeah, it, it's it's when Shapin's in there, it's an average offense. When Shapin's not in there, things kind of just fall off a cliff. And it, I mean, it just keeps getting worse. I mean, I could sit here all day and and rattle off some of these stats. Uh, 19 quarterbacks in the Big 12 Conference have at least 100 dropbacks to throw this season. Robertson is by far the worst of anyone, according to Pro Football Focus, with a 46.6 PFF grade, um, second highest turnover where they play, play percentage. You know, they, they, he just 
there's just not a lot of spots where he's going to be doing well or, or areas where he's going to be targeting the ball that that's going to be a problem for West Virginia. You know what this means, Chris? We're going to see R.J. Martinez, the decorated Northern Arizona transfer, uh, almost 4,600 yards passing, 30 touchdowns, 10 picks, ran for 255, 13 touchdowns in two seasons there, but he's he's been their third-string guy. And you just wonder, end of the season, hey, I might be here, I might not be here, I don't know, or just let's see what we have in the future with this guy. I'm not sure, but just all the conventions go out the window in a game like this, and, and who knows what happens. Elsewhere on their offense, what the heck happened to their running game? Like this used to be an awesome offensive line, and they just put a running back in there, and they were always good. Uh, last year, Richard Reese was like sliced bread. I believe he was the freshman of the year in the conference. He's maybe the third best running back this year. This is a big surprise to me. And my phone. Um, I think part of it is you become one dimensional with not not just one dimensional as as far as pass and run goes, but where you're running. Because if you look at some of Baylor's stats, the left side of their line is fine. And the right side is terrible. And it seems about about six games ago, Baylor realized that. Or at least the coaching staff did or their offensive coordinator, whoever's calling plays did. Because they switched their tendency on where they're going to run. For the entire season, it's about a 163 to one. It's a 163 to 129 split, which is about 56 to 44. uh, Running left side of the line to the right side of the line. On the left side of the offensive line, 5.1 yards per carry. Pretty good. I think we all can agree on. Right side of the line, 3.3 yards per carry. Like a pretty drastic difference. And their right tackle is is the lowest graded player on their offense this season. So, they're, they're, again, there are tendencies that are starting to show up. And you can kind of pick on that. You can scheme against that. And, and really, like whatever little success they're getting on the left side is slowly diminishing as the season goes along. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Related, did you notice Cincinnati really selling out one side against West Virginia's run? Oh, yeah. And again, that, that was that was why Green like just ended up running and it was like, hey, does Cincinnati know that Garrett Green can keep the ball and run? <laughs> they know that, right? Yeah. So maybe that's yeah. a tell here. Yeah. Uh, Gavin Byers is their left guard. Clark Barrington is their center. Those are their two best offensive linemen. And guess what? Uh, middle left, they run the ball there a ton. No matter who it is, they seem like they like to go to that spot. So probably some power stuff, whether they're following those guys or going through having somebody clear the space those two open. But expect a lot of stuff there. And again, Jeff Grimes, the offensive line coach or offensive coordinator, was a line coach. Had the reliably violent offense, the RVO, not the same this year. They do have big backs that can that can definitely move the ball and move the line here, but they're going to have to do a lot on their own. They just they just don't really do that very often. 
And then more surprises here is just what's happened to their passing game. Again, good players, but for example, Monterey Baldwin last year was like a revelation, like this huge big play threat. He's had a good year here, but it hasn't gone to the level that people thought. They've blended in some other new people, but they've really relied on their tight end, who has set the uh, school record for receiving yards in the year. Not going to go down a, t- a tight end rabbit hole with you here, but um, that's definitely a guy that they've figured out how to use this year. And Drake Dabney, bunch of touchdowns, almost 600 yards receiving for a tight end. And maybe that's where this has kind of gone. They've just become so conservative and turtled up so much that they've had to check down and resort a whole bunch. But your receivers, Baldwin, Hal Presley is still there. I think he's been injured. Um, they've used uh, Jenna Burton, just different guys. They try to find out. Jeff Cameron has been a good player this year for them, too. But not that typical speed game breaking, you know, score from anywhere on the field. And I don't know if it's from protection where they don't have time to drop back and let plays develop or if they've just lost confidence in anything they're doing. And they just want to keep it short and try to do stuff simply and add that up. Was it weird that we've said all like the trifecta of, of bad juju for WVU football? We yeah. talk about a good tight end, backup quarterback, and playing in Waco where they're one and four. It's not and great. yet we're we're talking like it's still going to be a big win for WVU. Mm-hmm. Baldwin, uh, 38 catches, 623, four touchdowns, averaging 16.4, but only getting three catches a game. Just you figure he would do more than that this year. Dabney's targeted just as much and and just a number of guys who've contributed, but no one's really taken over here. And you're like, oh, that's balance, but it's not really what they want to be doing. And again, just just kind of lost. Uh, the running backs that we mentioned, um, we did mention Reese from last year, but kind of taking a backseat. He's third in the team in carries. Dominic Richardson is a junior, bigger guy, 6'1", 205, leading the team of 494 yards. And then Dawson Pendergrass, freshman, 6'2", 215, 322 yards, five touchdowns. And then Reese, I just I just have a hard time believing this. Played every game, but just 60 carries, 264 yards. He was a game breaker last year. Really fast guy, good at getting new spots and running through them. And it just, just hasn't worked. And you know, one thing goes bad, everything goes bad. And again, quarterback injuries this year. This is not the first time that Chapin has missed time. That definitely derails you look at West Virginia as as proof positive of that. And you have three backs. West Virginia would like to think that they have three backs, but They've been their best, and they've had one guy who you clearly can give it to. Now, granted, that identity of the player has changed, but you always knew that a Donaldson or a White, even late on in the season, they can handle it for you if you had to get out of a game or go into a game without your number one. I don't know if Baylor has quite that confidence there. And just, again, they don't do anything terribly well where you can lean on it if something else has gone wrong, and that's a problem. Now, how does that match up against West Virginia's defense? Well, matchups here, Chris. I mean, it looks like that this isn't a team that can really stretch the field. They're not going to play fast. Um, maybe they try to create some matchups before the snap. I think that's probably the most bothersome thing in the preparation for West Virginia. They do use a bunch of tight ends. Like I've seen stuff with three of them on the field. The formation fun you can have there, the shifts, the motion, all that stuff for West Virginia, a team that is kind of, I don't know, like a little bit of PTSD from last year and all the trouble they have with pre-snap activity from the opponent. That really hasn't been a whole lot of uh, an issue this year, but I imagine these are the buttons that Baylor will try to push. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was thinking the same thing. Was yeah, you get those extra tight ends, you get the extra backs, you're doing all this motion, this shifting. Uh, Neil Brown brought that up, but that destroyed W. I mean, that like embarrassed WVU last year. Like it, it was embarrassing. Like teams were toying with West Virginia's defense just to get them out of position. That doesn't seem to be happening quite as much. At least not since, you know, they made those changes after what Penn State game. I guess you know they didn't do it during Duquesne because it was Duquesne, but they started doing it after that. And we haven't seen 
quite the same issues for West Virginia in that regard since then. So maybe that keeps that from being a problem because, yeah, there, there were two things that, that kind of stuck in my mind as potential problems. And one was all that shifting, all that motion with two tight ends, just some tough matchup stuff. And then the one thing with Robertson, the quarterback, one one area of the field he has, I want to say, okay success with, he likes to throw it deep. Mm. He can occasionally throw it deep. And that's where he's done his best. His average depth of target is over 10 yards. Um, deep left is 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 really nice. You know, 185 yards on just five completions. So he really goes for it. And it doesn't take a high completion percentage for that to have an impact. And West Virginia's defense has been known to give up a few big pass plays this year. So, you know, say it's a, it's a game and you're like, hey, what, why isn't West Virginia pulling away? And then all of a sudden, he completes one pass out of like five attempts, but it's a 60-yard bomb for a touchdown down the left. Then all of a sudden, you're thinking twice about it. You're sweating. The 20,000 fans or so that will be at the Baylor game on Saturday are starting to get a little rowdy. It, it, it That's there, and that's lingering. So just a couple of things that I was keeping my eye on that could be a problem for WVU. Remember back in the day, and again, this is not fair, but this just makes me think about what it used to be like. But they would put out their their second team of receivers. Now, their second team of receivers was good. And they would run four verts, like two snaps in a row. And they'd run like a draw. Or maybe they'd throw like underneath or something like that. But they would gas the cornerbacks. And then they, they would bring in their good receivers and run the same thing and just dare you to keep up with them. Um, that That's just something today, like because West Virginia's depth on defense we've talked about, and maybe they have enough receivers they could do that. But one, they had to be crafty here to make something happen because if you just look at Robertson, he doesn't do play action. I mean, just 25% of the time, doesn't throw screens less than 20% of the time. It's a lot of stand back there and look the field over and go. And he's not been good under pressure. He's not been good when he's blitzed. When he's clean, he's about 63%. When he's not blitzed, about 60%. Do the math. Um, when he's under pressure, you know, less than 38% completion percentage. Um, it's it's just it's a problem there. So he's going to have to figure out ways to be good when he's standing back there. And if they can get just some way to get guys open, then they have a chance. Because, but they're not going to be able to do anything. Not going to be able to do anything, I think, that would – unless he's going to be a good play-action guy or throw a bunch of screens in this game, which he hasn't done in, in a significant amount of time this year, too. It's not his first time out there, too, and he's played college football before, too. Um, a question on the defense, Chris. We saw them play against Oklahoma. Didn't go well. We've seen them play against good offensive teams, and they've had their issues. We've also seen them play against bad offenses, and they have throttled them at home. Cincinnati, BYU haven't really gone on the road and played well on defense. They haven't gone on the road and played an offense like this, though. Where is the meter here as far as expectations? Is it a little bit of a nail-biter here because you've seen them on the road and they can make average offenses look a little bit better? or even really good offenses like a level above that? Or should they be confident because they have found ways to overperform against inferior offensive opposition? I think they need to have confidence. Yeah, confident, not cocky, that saying, because you're right. Like They've had success against bad offenses. And Baylor is a bad offense, especially without shaping. And you know they kind of need to go in here and act as such and hack as such. Um, like you noted, like there's no, there's not a whole lot of play action. There's not a whole lot of screens. Like you can kind of pin your ears back and get after him and put him under pressure and make him make some tough throws. So, um, this is one where I think 
it's not really like a gauge of, of what this defense is, but this is not something it's going to be a little more challenging, obviously, because it's on the road, but this is not a game where West Virginia should be giving up 30 points. Okay. Fair enough. Flip the ball. Now West Virginia on offense, Baylor on defense. This starts with the run game mentioned Baylor's uh, run defense. Not very good. Allowing 179 a game. However, only 100 yards last week against TCU. Again, not a great rushing offense, but only 100 yards allowed. Two weeks before that, Houston 125. In between Kansas State 183, that's more normal here. Um, So I don't know. Maybe they perked up and they had a bad game in between because West Virginia's offense has looked good, except Oklahoma, a bad game in between. So you have to kind of extend benefit of the doubt there, but... It's a lot of yards per game. They haven't really given up huge numbers. The season high is 288 against Cincinnati. So it's not like there's a 424-yard game in there to skew the average. But the low is 100. That was last week. And then pretty healthy numbers by the opposition throughout the season here. And the West Virginia just feels really good about how they run the ball and how they block. Where does Baylor begin here? Uh, let me begin with a little trivia question. All right. 20. Five rushing touchdowns allowed by Baylor. They have allowed a rushing touchdown in every single game. I guess it wasn't so much as a question, but a statement. Um, but yeah, it's tough. That's that's tough. That's not great. Like they've been, and I, I was looking at. It. I was trying to figure out why because they rank, as you noted, like one of the worst in the country in total yards per allowed per game and average yards per carry at like four point eight seven. The twenty five rushing touchdowns is one hundred and twenty second out of one hundred thirty three teams. But why? Why, why, why? How does this happen? And a lot of it is their defensive line getting blown off the ball because the missed tackles are not that bad. Like they're kind of one of the better ones in the in the conference with their missed tackle rate, like the percentage. It's about 15%, which is pretty average, like for nationally and, and one of the better marks in the Big 12 conference. Um, so it seems to me like their defensive line is just kind of getting blown off uh, off the line of scrimmage. And that maybe this is one of those games where you're looking at West Virginia's offensive line and saying, hey, this is one you should win. Like, this is one you should not have trouble with because not just with runs, like kind of everything you look at as far as um, where Baylor ranks, how you would, I guess, gauge the strength of a defensive line. And maybe it's not fair to just say defensive line, but like they're one of the worst in tackles for loss. They're one of the worst in um sacks they're one of the worst in you know rushing yards per loud uh, loud per carry and again like the missed tackle rate is great which means that their linebackers and safeties are making these tackles behind them it's just the backs are getting so much space to get started they're getting blocked a lot yeah yeah uh, so going on what you mentioned about how bad they are this is kind of a relativity thing i think is important in the power five there are four worst teams in rushing yards per game Southern Cal, Boston College, Central Florida, Georgia Tech. There are seven worse in yards per carry allowed. BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, Florida, Georgia Tech. There's some big 12 teams in there, Chris. UCF, BYU, Cincinnati. We've seen recent West Virginia against them, against those three teams, which are in the neighborhood of Baylor. Worse, but in the neighborhood of Baylor. 1,046 yards in three games. 348 yards per game. 7.3 per carry, 12 touchdowns, about 48 runs per game, and about 12 per game, 10 yards or more. 
I think you, I mean, I think at this point, it's probably fair to expect something along those lines and maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse. But I, I'm not saying there's targets, but would it be crazy if West Virginia ran for 350 and seven yards of carry against Baylor? This is a wild thing to say, but that's the expectation level they've kind of gotten. Now, granted, if they don't get 350 and seven yards of carry, they can still have a good day and not quite get there. But I think that their confidence and their execution level right now probably has them feeling pretty good about what they should be able to do based on what they've done to teams that have performed similarly across the year. You better be careful before I get a message from somebody saying that this was the most homerific podcast preview podcast they've ever listened to. We can't gotten the other way that we're the most negative podcast they've ever listened to. Mm-hmm. Well, today might be the most positive. Do you think Chris, let me ask you this. Cause I, I'm, I wrote about this and it'll be out by the time that people read this, but since the start of conference play, fill in this blank for me. West Virginia owns a top blank offense. Boring, right? Boring? Scoring, scoring, oh. scoring. <laughs> no, like put a number. Like if you said, okay, these are West Virginia fits in the top X number of offenses in the country. Oh, okay. Since um, the start of conference play. So pretty much from October 1st on, let's say. 25. Okay. I think it's fair. Yeah. I mean, it was I, numbers. This was, this was, yeah. I mean, I think it was, you know, it, they've dropped Dak down a little bit, but it was something that we brought up. There was like, you know, in November or no, maybe it was the same, but like in October, yeah, West Virginia was at number 12 in scoring offense in the entire country. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's a little drastic given the teams they were playing. And, but, you know, in November, they're averaging 33 points a game. Then, that's down to 33rd in the country. So, yeah, you're talking in conference play, probably at the top 25-ish type of offense in the country. I also love the the phrase top boring offense in the country. We could put that on a T-shirt, right? <laughs> I I guarantee you that might have been one way to describe WVU in the last five years. And it's still, you might think it's not very exciting, but it's been effective and they do make big plays. Like when they run it, it goes far sometimes. When they throw it, it definitely goes far. Gary Green's third in the country in yards per completion. He's also 101st in completion percentage. But when he gets it, golly, he makes something happen here. Um, here, here's the evidence for top 25 being accurate, Chris. Okay. Points per game, West Virginia was 71st in the country in non-conference play. In conference play, 30th at 32.1. Love points per game. Total offense, they were 84th in non-conference play. They are 20. 80 yards better at 450 per game. Um, yards per play, 5.42, number 90 in the country. In conference, 6.3, number 30 in the country. Uh, rushing yards per game. In conference play, fifth in the country. Yards per carry, 10th in the country. First downs per game, 13th in the country. Time of possession, third in the country. And those are up from numbers that were in the 60s and 70s. So you're you're looking at a team that was, I mean, middle of the pack is probably being kind in the key offensive areas for West Virginia, which, again, you're not going to measure all teams by this metric, but West Virginia's formula, hey, would be great to score because the offense isn't terrific. We need to move the ball on offense. we got to get chunk plays. We're going to run the ball, and we're going to need first downs to possess the ball. And they're really good at all that stuff since the start of conference play. Their worst their worst rank is 30th since the start of conference play. So top 25 seems very fair when you consider that they're number five in rushing yards per game, number 10 in rushing yards per carry, number 13 in first downs. And yet it feels like this is a team that still has something to prove on offense, which maybe means that this is an important game for that reason alone. Yeah, I'm curious to see what, um, what Garrett Green and his passing offense can do because we talked about the struggles that Baylor has stopping the run, like we've we've gone over that. But what about the pass? Because 
it's going to have to happen. Not maybe it won't make that big of a difference. Like you know, this year, like this is the last game, and then there's the ball game. But he needs to develop more as a passer, and West Virginia's offense needs to develop more as a passer if they want to take that next step. And this could this is a game that I'd be watching, not necessarily because Baylor's great or anything, um, but out of everyone in the conference. Baylor runs the highest person, or at least out of everybody that West Virginia plays in the conference this year, Baylor runs the highest percentage of zone coverage in the secondary. And I noted this in the three key matchups last week that when Green faces these teams that run a lot more zone than man, that his completion percentage drops, but his yards per completion go way up. But that might not be the case against Baylor because like their top six defensive backs and coverage snaps when they're playing zone, they've allowed 68 of 97, 70% completion for over a thousand yards this season. So there's an opportunity for, for green to kind of find these receivers and hit some open man and, and get something going in the passing game. Cause the other part of this is when you're in, when the opposing team is in zone coverage on defense, you tend to not be able to run quite as much because guys are in zone and they're looking back at the quarterback rather than man and running with their man with their backs to you. So it would be a different style Garrett Green game on Saturday than was against Cincinnati. They have not they have not allowed a passer to complete fewer than half of his attempts since September. Um, 50% UCF, which is not a team that's going to have a high completion percentage the way they run the ball and who they play a quarterback. But since then, 73, 61, 61, 77, 61, 78. Um, they, they got absolutely picked apart by TCU last week, 431 yards on 33 attempts. Can Green fit in there? Can he get that average up above 60% again, that percentage? You, you'd like to think so there. So I think that's a good a good indication of where he's growing. A lot of ink spilled about Garrett Green in the season he's having this week. Um, sneaky all-conference consideration. You know, Maybe we'll talk about that later on, but certainly there's a chance for him to have an all-around game with his feet and his arms to make something happen here. Uh, we'll know Saturday evening what leads us to the big finish here, Chris. Last time, regular season. Uh, this is going to be a late game. Um, this one's probably going to go longer than our Cincinnati-West Virginia um, early bird special. Let's say 11.30 we're talking. Who and what about? Neil Brown in a bowl game. Or wait, we have to be specific to this game? I mean, not really. (laughs) All right, we'll keep it specific to this game. And I think we're talking about the offensive line. And we think they are going to, you know, kind of hint at that earlier with with Baylor's defensive line. I think they are going to be able to clear paths unlike anything you've seen um, outside of the Cincinnati game um, so far this year. And it's just one, like there is no... There is no statistical measurement, no nothing that has happened so far this season, not to channel my inner Neil Brown and say they didn't put that on film, but there is nothing that Baylor has shown that says they are going to be able to compete in the trenches against West Virginia. So if they suddenly are capable of you know, blowing up West Virginia's offensive line, getting pressure on Garrett Green, stopping the run, there's going to be a very kind of awkward conversation about what exactly is going on with this, you know, senior laden or veteran laden offensive line at West Virginia. Okay. 
Uh, I am going to go to what you had first. I just, I just think that the game will be one thing and they'll be happy about that there, but I also think there's going to be some grandstanding and maybe it's earned and it's about time for Brown. I think that, I think they win this game. They get to that eighth win. They get to the sixth win in the conference. They hit some standards and some landmarks that maybe they had in mind and others didn't that, that historically do mean quite a bit. I think if you want to have that conversation and he's going to look around that room and not see a lot of people who cover his team on a regular basis. And just wonder where like the respect is and where the admiration or appreciation is for his team. And I wonder if, again, I wonder if he, if he, with the regular season done and the accomplishments in the barn, if he doesn't undo that top button a little bit and, and brag a little bit about not merely the fact that he got out of the jungle, but that he did so and looking pretty good. I mean, they've, they've done a lot of things that they weren't supposed to do or had not done this year. They've done it in style and offense that was needed and, and has arrived. Defense, whatever. I mean, there's issues there for sure. But it, it, again, this is a, a guy on a team that just been mad at the world since July, and they haven't had a chance to say that they were right and people were wrong until the regular season is over. And I'm not going to say that everybody was wrong about this team or even the things that maybe they were inaccurate about aren't still somewhat true to some level. All problems are not solved for sure. There's a lot fewer problems than there were before, and I think that he probably at some point will look to make that clear. And I wonder if he'd wait past the final press conference of the regular season because they don't play next week. There's going to be a lot of time to talk about the team, and, and he's not a dumb guy. I think he might he might find a way to fill the notebooks one way or the other. Should be must-see TV after the game. During the game, why not? Kind of lay the table out here, set the table here, laid out the matchups for you. Probably feel pretty good about West Virginia's chances of success against Baylor. Although, as noted, not a place where they played very well or had a lot of fun before, but times have changed. It changes pretty quickly in this conference. As we've seen with just the fate recently of these two programs. That'll wrap it up here. Chris, all the standard stuff coming up. I have by the numbers, the fresh set, some videos previewing the game. We will talk about some individuals who may get recognition from the conference this coming week or from the NIL department in the near future. What else do you have up your sleeve? Well, I got a overview of transfer portal season coming up that one up uh later today i'm gonna have uh, make sure you go back and read the midweek vip recruiting buzz if you're not a vip member get in now black friday deals already started 75 percent off so you can read all of this for literal pennies um for the entire year up in now because there's a lot of good stuff going up this week again that midweek vip recruiting buzz has um, insight from a lot of guys in ohio no coincidence that they were invited for the cincinnati game um Updates on a four-star kid who might end up at WVU. Updates with a former linebacker who might return to WVU by the JUCO route. And then, again, the transfer portal overview, what WVU needs and where and when. Can't wait. I'm also furious about this pennies thing. Like, wait till I do the clickbait now. Pennies. Uh, Unbelievable. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.